and here we go. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Dwayne Laflotte, who is a security engineer who has achieved expert level certifications in cryptography, exploit development, networking, programming, and enterprise data storage. Dwayne is currently the CTO of Pulsar Security, and he's also one of the hosts of the Security This Week podcast. We're going to talk to Dwayne about what you should do after a data breach, how hard it is to break into a website or a company, and what you should do if your personal information is found on the dark web, and probably some other things. But before we do that, let's say hi to Dwayne. Dwayne, how are you today? Hey, how are you, Mark? Good. Hey, I should have asked you before. Um, I hope I pronounced your, your last name correctly. Oh yeah, no, 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 you did a, you did an amazing job. I've I've heard all sorts of pronunciations in the past. That was a good job. Okay, beginner's luck there. So hey, um, <laughs> so Dwayne, where where whereabouts are you located? Uh, I'm actually up in New Hampshire, up in the the frozen tundra of New Hampshire. Okay, well, I'm in the um, the wet, dark, dreary Pacific Northwest, uh, but uh, <laughs> but I can't complain. I mean, it's uh, as people we have people from uh, out of town visiting uh, this this last weekend, and it was just a typical rainy day, and they're like, "Oh my God, it's so green!" <laughs> you know, so <laughs> right. Nice. Hey, did you guys? Um, I know that there are a couple states that are that don't do daylight savings or whatever it is, either go on or go off. Are you guys on the the, the regular program where you where you change your clocks every every six months? Oh yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's always rough this time of year when you think you have an extra hour, but you really don't. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. Can't sleep in. Um and it's uh it's funny because there's this whole debate and it's been going on for as long as I can remember. And you know, the, I don't I've never seen um, evidence of like why we actually do this. I've heard a, a bunch of different theories about, you know, it saves energy or it was helped, you know, so the kids would be, be safer when they're lining up for the school buses or it was somehow it helped the farmers or whatever. Um, where, what kind of debates are you hearing on the East Coast? Are people, you know, is, are, are, are we gaining momentum to kind of just yeah. derail from this thing? So I think so. You know, it's funny. Um, so being on the East Coast, right, and and in the Northeast in particular, right, ever since the, you know, the beginning of the country, it's been where factories have been and steamworks and shipping and that sort of stuff. So the one thing we don't know anything about is usually farming. Yeah. So we go, oh, it must have been for the farms. That's what okay. it is. So we, <laughs> we don't have any right to say whether the farmers get to get up early or not. Um, so it's cool if they still want to do it. Um, whether that's true or not, who knows? I don't know. But well, uh, that's, that's the question. To Sorry, mix things, oh no, as I say, just to make make things even stranger, apparently the federal government will allow states, and I, I always get it mixed up to either stay on daylight savings or stay off. But you can't, you there's there's one thing that you're allowed to do as a state, and there's one thing you're not. So for example, in Arizona, like um, my mom lives down there, half the year I call her, she's an hour ahead. But guess what? From last last weekend, we're on the same schedule because they don't change. <laughs> and and I don't understand how the government can. Oh, you're you're allowed as a state to do this, but you're not allowed as a state to anyway. It's kind of bizarre. It's so weird. It's so weird. And, and yeah. you know, it's it's tough because we deal a lot with international companies too. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it even gets weirder internationally because there are some that follow the changes, some that don't follow the changes, and then also trying to add in the differential in time. You're like, listen, I have no idea when I'm supposed to talk to you. Just like text me if we're supposed yeah. to be on the phone. Yeah. Well, I, I worked uh, in Asia for off and on for about 20 years. And then you have countries oh, wow. like China where everybody's on the same time, you know, yep. <laughs> it's just <Yep>. like, what? <laughs> How does that work? 
Anyway, hey, um, so, I mean, you've been, you know, working as a security engineer for, for many years, and um, you have obviously a, a lot of certifications and credentials. I, I do want to talk to you about data breaches. There's all, every day in the news um, we see about different data breaches, and it's it's basically just a, a fact of life. It's going to happen. In mm-hmm. fact, when, when companies, when security companies get breached, um, you know, and I'm thinking of... Um, Oh, one of the, the the password keepers that recently got breached oh, twice. Oh, yeah, LastPass. Ooh. Yeah, exactly right. So if they get breached, you know, I mean, basically nobody's safe. So yeah. um, let's let's imagine that you are a we'll, – we'll sit on uh, two sides of the table of this. In, in the beginning, let's imagine that you're running a mid-sized company and yes. you you have a breach. What's, what, do you, what do you do? Okay, so the first thing I usually tell people to do is a thing not to do, which is panic. Like, honestly, the first thing I hear is, oh, my God, they're in the systems. We got to shut them down. And you're like, OK, wait, <laughs> like, let's take a look and, and, and calmly understand what's the damage, what might they have had access to um, before we start just randomly applying fixes to the problem. We don't know how deep it goes. Um, but but the other thing I typically tell customers and, and it's. It's interesting when I'm, when, you know, if I were owning a, a small business and if the first small to medium business and if the first time I start thinking about my strategy is the time that I've had a data breach, you're already behind the game. Um, you you should just like you need to plan what you're going to do for for, um, you know, workers comp and what you're going to do for your 401k for your employees and what you're going to do for vacation schedules. You should also plan for what happens if our data is breached, what happens if our site gets ransomware, what happens if, you know, we can't communicate with any of our vendors or any of our supply chain. Um, these are things you need to think about in a time of non-crisis. <laughs> So that when crisis comes, um, you know what you know what to do, right? You know what the plan is. Um, so that would be, you know, my, that's my biggest recommendation to customers is have a plan first. So the yeah. next question is generally, okay, great. What should What's that in plan the plan? Be? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's important, right? Because different style of attacks uh, require different types of plans. So let's assume it's just a ransomware attack, right? Now ransomware can be data breach. Um, so kind of fits into the the question of data breach, but let's assume for now, like no data breach, just ransomware, et cetera. Well, typically easily mitigated with things like backups and recoveries. So if you have an offsite backup um, and a recovery strategy and you know what your, you know, recovery time objective and your recovery point objective are um, to break those down, like recovery time objective, like how long is it going to take us to get back? Uh, and recovery point objective is how much data do we lose, right? Is it a day's worth of data, two days worth of data, four hours worth of data? So all of this should be determined up front. Like, how do we know if this happens, if we go to restore this data? You know, how much have we lost? But then on top of that, the, the other interesting thing around that is if you never practice, uh, then you don't really have a plan, right? So mm-hmm. it's like it's like the military, the National Guard, the they don't just sit in the base playing cards until, you know, lo and behold, they're needed. Um, they're constantly out training, constantly out, you know, pretending there's a sailor lost at sea and then the Coast Guard goes out and tries to, you know, rescue them. Um, same type of thing in a small to medium business. It it can be pushed to the wayside where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have backups. We're probably good. But if you're not testing them every few months to to restore some data and make sure it actually works and you're actually backing it up, then you really don't have a plan. Um, so, you know, again, we're it, I guess it wouldn't matter if it's a, a small, medium sized business or, you know, large enterprise. You you need to have a plan and you need to practice that plan. But how much time and energy and resources can you should you commit to this? Yeah. 
Um, so that's a great question. And and I, I, I hate the answer of it depends, but it depends. Um, so if you're somebody who can operate 90% of your business without the need of these systems, then you probably spend a little bit of time making sure that you can recover these systems. And they're up and running to make things more efficient, but you know your business can still operate. Um, if you're, say, Amazon.com, and you know if your sites are down, you're literally making no money, um, then you probably put a fair bit more time um, into making sure that you have disaster recovery and redundant systems and that sort of thing. Now, that's for recovery from outages, ransomware, that sort of stuff for small and medium business. Most of the time, you can. there are a lot of packages out there that are really good, like offline backup and restore software. So you don't have to spend a lot of time. A lot of it's automated for you. Um, and then we go into the, okay, cool. So let's say we could recover from a complete disaster, but what if the ransomware comes with a contingent of uh, data breach, data loss? Um, so we're just seeing this in um, places like the LA school district, uh, Minneapolis uh, school district, if I remember correctly, where they were ransomware and they said, you know what, we're not gonna pay the million dollar fine um, because A, you know, we don't have enough money to pay our teachers. We're not giving you a million dollars for our data back. <laughs> Right. Uh, and yeah. B, we have backups. We had a plan. Right. So we're just going to restore. Um, and and then the, the, the ransomware gang said, OK, that's cool. But we exfiltrated a lot of information. So we pulled information off the network that could be damaging um, and we're going to release it. Um, and, and for every day that you don't respond, it's going to cost an extra fifty thousand um, dollars. So in, in that particular case, the bit the best thing to do as a small to medium business is to understand what was lost. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that. The ransomware gang or whoever exfiltrates the data is going to tell you they have the crown jewels. They have access to all your bank accounts. They have access to all of your, you know, employees, all their 401k data, right? They're they're going to tell you whatever they need to tell you to get you to pay. Um, but forensically understanding what they could have gotten access to um, is going to be important because then you know what you're dealing with. But here again, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, wait a minute, what's the process for doing that? Yeah, I, so honestly, it starts before the ransomware. It starts before the breach, right? So, you know, where are we keeping our data? I, I can't tell you how many times we go to an organization and we do what's called a red team engagement. So red team engagement is a company will hire us and say, listen, attack us like China would attack us or attack us like, you know, Russia would attack us, like like nation state level. We're going to give you no information of the name of our company. And we want you just to attack us and, and mm -hmm. grab stuff. And and the first thing we ask them is, OK, great, we can do that. And we, we know what the assets are theirs and what assets aren't theirs so they can sign off. And we say, great, what's the crown jewels? Like, what's what's the I win button? What's the thing I can get inside your organization that if we got it and it were to see the light of day, it would be horrible. And and I can't tell you how many organizations have no idea what that is. Right. Like, wow. well, I don't I don't know. Is it your user data? Is it your financial data? Is it your, I don't know, your seven secret spices and sauces, right? Like, right. what is it that we steal that would be really damaging? And and that's the first thing is identify what's important in the organization. And then you can put a plan around, a structured plan around protecting those things. Maybe it's data at rest encryption. Maybe it's multi-factor access, uh, you know, to, uh, for, you know, multi-factor authentication for accessing that data, um, that sort of stuff. So... You know, there's there's all sorts of things, but the first thing starts with planning as to what are the crown jewels, and then, well, then we start worrying about how do we protect those crown jewels from not being leaked outside the organization. It makes total sense, but post breach scenarios, um, and you're, you you because you you know you mentioned there's some type of forensic process that you can go to go through mm. to figure out what actually was um, uh, compromised. What's what's the process for doing that? Is it just going through log files? I mean, what, what do you do? 
Um, so yeah, that, that can get complicated. Um, and here's why I say that. Uh, so how do you get data out of an organization? That's the first thing I think about, like, how are we going to pull this information out of the organization? I can tell you a lot of times it's pretty simple. It's, I'm going to go out to a, you know, my evil hacker.com website and I'm going to upload the files. Well, that's, that's easy. Look at firewall logs and you'll be able to see what was, what was, um, X filled or, or, or pulled off of site. Um, but I'll tell you, in some really secure organizations, I mean, we've attacked military organizations, Fortune 500 organizations, where they're putting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into defense um, and and tracking. And we've done things like we'll exfil files over DNS. Um, mm-hmm. So to sort of unpack that a little bit, like um, when you make a query out to www.microsoft.com, right? Open up your browser, www.microsoft.com. Your computer innately doesn't know how to get there. Right. And the way that it resolves that name to an address is through a domain naming system, DNS. Um, So what if I were to then take an entire file and encode it um, into what we call base 64 code um, and take the first, I don't know, 100 characters of a file and then go to, you know, go to that 100 characters dot evil hacker dot com. What's going to happen is my DNS server at evil hacker dot com is going to see those first 100 characters and it's going to store them. And then you're going to ask for another address and we're going to store them and so on and so forth. So it starts to get really complicated as to, well, okay, how could they have exfilled the data and what types of logs then at that point would would matter? What would be the things that um, you would look at? Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. And, you know, and normally you'd have logging information on how that, you know, how you're accessing the, the Internet, what data is going out through the Internet, whether it's DNS, HTTP requests, that sort of stuff. Um, some really sophisticated organizations, not more for the small to medium, unless you you have a lot of IP to protect, would have things like network intrusion detection systems, host intrusion detection systems. And those are really the ones that are going to help you understand where the breach point happened, um, which is really kind of nice. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, what I'm really trying to get uh, an understanding of is, you know, you mentioned you before you panic, uh, you need to find out what actually was compromised, right? And, and how do you, because the, the hackers are going to tell you, yeah, we have the crown jewels. Um, and right. if, you know, and if you, if you want to call their bluff, it'd be nice to be super well-informed before you do that. Right. Um, and so I, I guess what you're saying is you can get pretty close by looking at all these different, you know, the, maybe the log files are looking at the different tools and, and signal that you, that you can pull from them. But at the end of the day, can you be ever be entirely sure of what was compromised or not? Ooh, that is, uh, that's a burning question right now. Um, and, and here's why, uh, organizations are finding, I mean, take a look at Uber, right? Organizations are finding that not only are, is the organization legally liable for data that was leaked, but individuals can also be legally liable. Um, and in that, I think in that particular case, they're, they're forming a case for the, either I think it was the CTO going to jail because of some of the decisions that were made. Um, so it gets really important at that at that level to, you know, when do we notify people? How do we notify people? And should we notify anybody? Um, so a lot of organizations are getting very litigious around, well, you know, they'll go to an engineer and say, okay, we had a, we had a, the, the engineer will say we had a data breach, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, the, the C-level executives will go, can you guarantee the data left the building? Can you guarantee us that that customer information was, was breached and actually leaked? And if the engineer can't say yes, because they have a hundred percent logs, then some companies are going, well, there's no hundred percent guarantee. So, right. No exactly. Let's yeah, not tell yeah. anybody. And and we're running into this weird quagmire now where, you know, we find a lot of organizations know about 
particular breaches, but play them down to the point where, you know, oh, yeah, legally we weren't supposed to notify anybody. So it's fine, um, which is which is a bit troubling. Uh, yeah, um, it, 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 it should be part of that that original playbook or plan that you talked about where mm -hmm. there is a notification process. And depending on which industry you're in, um, the, there might be different regulatory bodies. There might be different time limits and so on and so forth. But, you know, I mean, typically like for GDPR, I think it's 72 hours. I mean, it's a yeah. pretty short time. And it um, it's quick. Yeah. And, and you've got companies like I. this is a couple of years ago, Cathay Pacific. Uh, in Hong Kong, I think they lost like a million and a half uh, customer names, and you know, and all the the, the related information. And they didn't uh, they didn't report for almost a year. Okay, and it was clear that you know, and and <laughs> yeah. and, and so some some people ended up going to jail. Uh, it's it's just you know, people think that oh well maybe we can just sweep this under the rug, but um, right. eventually, yeah. And well, and it's crazy too because you know you think in in other industries like um, let's say in you work in aviation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God forbid there's an accident of some sort I and mean, your plane goes off a runway or whatever. You you guarantee you guaranteed that the legal organization or part of the organization has already been engaged, you know, years yeah. ago as to what we can say to the press, what we can't say to the press, what we have to say to the families, what we can't say to the families, that sort of stuff. And and it just surprises me that when you start then looking at digital disasters like ransomware or data breaches or that sort of stuff, you know, nobody's engaged legal. Nobody's gone to talk to them and say, okay, what are, you know, if this happens, what are the things we can say, right? And what are the things we can't say? And what are the things we're required to say? Uh, and I, I, you know, I think we're seeing some organizations trying to get there, but you know, more often than not, it's 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 a crisis mode and everybody panics, which is unfortunate. It is. Um, let's let's flip the uh, the table around now and you know be, uh, put your consumer hat on. You know, you 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 get up in the morning, uh, you look on the internet and you say, "Oh my gosh, my password keeper or my bank or whatever has been hacked, and X number of names have been you know found on the dark web." What should I do? Uh, yeah, that is a really good question. Um, because, it, you know, one of the things I typically tell people, because I get this all the time, right? Because we're staying always on sort of the bleeding edge of of um, exploitation of systems and, and data and that sort of stuff. And because and that's our job, right, is to try and break it and do these things. So I get, a, I get a lot of those questions of, oh, my God, I just saw LastPass or, oh, my God, I just saw, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and, and a lot of times I tell people there, you know, listen, the media is a fantastic creature, but it, it really does sort of like hype. So before we before you go and, and trash a system because you see there's news articles about it, um, take, for example, something like Bitwarden. People have been talking about Bitwarden and how Bitwarden has been uh, can leak passwords, um, which is an alternative to LastPass. So a lot of people come to me, you know, throw their arms up and say, Duane, you've been you've been recommending that we use password managers. And now Bitwarden's, you know, LastPass was breached and now Bitwarden's been breached. And, and if you look at the underlying news article, um, it was only breached in a very small situation by a researcher that isn't even a default option. Right. So you go, OK, yeah, I get it. And and it's neat at this point. Everybody wants to talk about password managers being breached. But in real in reality, this isn't an issue. Um, so I think the first thing is, if you see those types of things, you know, take it with a grain of salt as to where you're getting it and really kind of dig in and, and talk to an expert about, you know, hey, what should I do here? Um, is this a real concern or is it just hype? But if it is a real concern, let's say did it, data does get uh, leaked out onto the dark web, um, the first thing I would say is username and password changes. That's a number one. Um, mm -hmm. So go out and make sure that your usernames are changed if you can. If you can't change usernames, change passwords at least. 
And the the sort of table stakes, the entry level security at this point should be multi-factor authentication. Um, so even if all my passwords were, were leaked right now, I'm not too concerned because I have multi-factor authentication that's authenticating me in another way. It's the, you know, the Google authenticator with the ticking numbers or, or SMS back to my phone. So even if somebody were to have my username and password, eh, I'm not that concerned. Um, yeah, they need to be changed, but it's not like a life threatening. Somebody's going to log into my bank and start stealing things. Um, so that would be the other thing with the other recommendation is just make sure your personal digital sort of hygiene, if you will, is is up is on par. Always use good passwords. Never use mul- the same password in multiple places. I always recommend a password manager. And if you, you believe you've been in a breach of some sort, change passwords and make sure you have multi-factor authentication turned on. I think that's some excellent advice. And I'm a huge believer and proponent of MFA. Uh, and I, I'm just curious, so on your side, do you have a preference between like authenticator apps or the SMS or, you know, a, a call or, you know, do you have a pre- individual preference? Uh, so I do. Um, so I use the authenticator app. So I actually do have a password manager. I don't mind telling you it's, it's one password. Um, I use that. It's been great for me. It has a family plan, plan so I can force the entire family to use it. And I say force because none of them want to use it. No. Um, <laughs> which is always surprising. Cause like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to my wife who maybe like opens up a spreadsheet with passwords and I'm like, you don't know, do you know what I do for a living? Like, um, so, <laughs> so needless to say, like, I'll use I, know, I, I just, I mean, it's funny because it's like, I, I've, I've seen that so many places and, or even just printouts. Uh, well, nobody will look here. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Okay. Well, yeah. somebody might look there and what happens if you lose that piece of paper, by the way? So like, <laughs> uh, but right. I mean, it's challenging. I mean, you think about how many different passwords I, I, I would like to see the statistics about the average American consumer, like how many different accounts and passwords they have to keep, you know, it's just oh, kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah, and if I were to look into my one password right now, if I ballpark probably have about 280, if I had to guess, um, different unique passwords and usernames for different systems. So it, it's a daunting task. Um, but mm-hmm. as far as like MFA is concerned, um, one of the recommendations I, I always make is never put the multi-factor authentication in the same thing as your password manager. And we saw this bite people um, for the LastPass situation because what would happen is the username and password were encrypted. Well, actually, the password was encrypted in LastPass, but your notes field was not. So when people would copy out those backup codes for MFA and put them in the notes field in their password manager, now they now the attacker can just bypass MFA. Um, so, you know, I always keep them separate. So me, I'm a fan of things like Google Authenticator. I'll use Google Authenticator for, you know, my MFA. I'll use one password for my password manager. Um, if I have to, I can use SMS, although there have been ways to bypass that. Um, but you know, that's that's usually my pass. My my go-to is an authenticator app uh, and then a separate password manager app. What, what are your thoughts on you know the password in, in your browser? Do you, mm. do you yeah? Go ahead. Yeah, that's a good question um, because a lot of people think. Listen, uh, you know, if I put my password in my browser, it's a lot riskier, right? Because my browser's touching the internet, right? And mm-hmm. and the internet's where all the bad things are. <laughs> and and I like to t- I like to tell people like, if somebody can access that browser store of passwords, you're in deeper trouble. Um, mm-hmm. there have been there have been few cases where, yeah, okay, you know, Chrome or whatever has some sort of wacky heap overflow that gives you access to privatized storage where you can read a password like it happens but it's it's rare enough where i'm not as concerned about it 
Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I've seen it burn you, and and one of the things I'd always uh, be cautious of, is when you're you're saving the passwords inside your browser and you're also syncing them to your account. So if you sync your browser passwords, let's say you log into Chrome and you have a Gmail account and you sync it to your Gmail account. What that means is anybody who breaches your Gmail account, what they will do is install Chrome locally and then they will get all your passwords because now they're logged uh, in as you and they can pull the passwords down. Um, that's the big risk um, is if you're going to sync it out to like whether it's you're syncing it out to Microsoft because you're using Edge or you're syncing it out to um, Google because you're using Chrome. You want to be careful that your pat your account a has a really long password B has MFA of its own um, so that nobody's going to be able to log into that account and be able to sync down those passwords. For logging into something like Gmail, do you MFA every time? Um, so that's interesting. I do not MFA every time. Um, but what happens is I have it locked down at the point where if I log in from a new location, um, mm-hmm. I, there's only, there's very few locations I log into my Gmail account from. So if I log in from a new location, it does actually, um, ask me to authenticate again. Um, and there I'll use my, my authenticator app, but, um, yeah. And then I, I do, if I have the option to tell it, forget this station, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, then I'll do that as well where every two weeks-ish, I'm forced to put in my my um, MFA authentication again. Right, that way if, if somebody got a hold of your device or something like that, or, you know, it's just a good, another kind of safety check there. Yeah. Um, so uh, let, let's just so say that, um, you know, somebody does get access to your accounts um, and they get some of your personal information, you are alerted somehow that it's out there on the dark web. Then mm-hmm. what do you do? Uh, so that that's also another good question, because then you get freaked out. Right. Um, and it's interesting you say this because um, there were a couple countries we were just talking about. I want to say it was Sweden. It's gathering all sorts of information about all of their, uh, you know, their um, citizens. And people were freaked out. They're like, listen, you know, if somebody breaches a database, tons of data about those those people are going to be out there. And, and I keep telling people like tons of data is already out there about everybody like there's, you know, I could probably look your name up right now on the internet and find your cell phone number, your address, you know, whether you're married or not, how many kids you have, like all of that information is out on the internet and not hard to access. Um, so, you know, from, from that standpoint, you know, I, I tell people, okay, it, you know, there's a lot of data already out there about you. So if more information gets leaked, it generally is going to be things like um, passwords you've used. But if you've used a password manager and you're using a unique password on every site, not as much risk, right? Go change those passwords. So that's simple. Um, if it's something like credit or financial information, one of the things I always recommend, and here again, this is planning beforehand. One of the things I always recommend is, is you know, a lot of people look at things like LifeLock and that sort of stuff, and you don't have to pay for any of those services. You can literally go to the three main creditors out there and put a freeze on your accounts so that nobody can open up anything with your name, nobody can use your social security number, any of that sort of stuff. And anytime you go to apply for a credit card or a loan or whatnot, you individually go into one of that particular creditor, unfreeze your account, allow the request to happen, and then freeze the account back. So that's what I usually recommend is, you know what, there's a simple process you can follow um, to freeze your financial, you know, and personal information in these creditors. So and there's not really that much risk. If somebody would have my social security number and or credit card numbers and or whatever, eh, it wouldn't really matter. Yeah, no, I think that's excellent advice about the credit freeze. And, you know, when they first started offering that service, it was a bit clunky. 
and you know, and the, and the three mm-hmm. different reporting agencies all had kind of slightly different processes for requesting a freeze, undoing a freeze. I just recently uh, needed to use credit to, for a purchase, and it, it literally took I don't know seven eight minutes to unfreeze all three. And what you can do now that you couldn't do before is you can say I'm going to unfreeze, and you just pick the time. So I, I knew that I, I yeah. wanted to have that that window of of unthought out period of like six hours and then it automatically went back to the free state so they're getting a little more i don't know uh, uh user friendly so it's a it's a definitely some, yes. some good advice there <laughs> yeah uh, and it's you know we always worry in the security world the more convenience we usually say less security mm-hmm. um so convenience is the enemy of security in some senses but um i i agree you can't make it so hard to use that nobody can use it um because i have plenty of people who come to me and go okay i can't even follow steps on how to do it and they've gotten much better over the years yeah exactly hey um you know I, in in the show notes uh, to prep for this i i saw that one of the questions that i could ask you is how dangerous is your tv or refrigerator and i also took a look at your your <laughs> podcast and i think that you have some episodes about that I'm, I'm pretty sure you're talking about like home iot devices and things um why don't you talk a little bit about that Sure, absolutely. You know, it's funny you say that. So um, in our podcast, it's it's me who's, um, you know, I'm I'm our sort of really low level reverse engineer. Um, and for those of you who may not have run into reverse engineering before, um, you know, one of the companies we were attacking at one point had a TV in the lobby that was connected to Wi-Fi. Um, and we wanted to re- we wanted to see if we could breach the company through the TV. So we actually bought one. Um, and tore it down to the firmware, literally ripped the chips off the board and started reading the code and and found an exploit in the code where we then could use that against the customer and connect to the TV and then have that TV continually tell us what the password was um, for the network. Um, but so as we're going through this story, right, and we're, we're talking, we're talking this story and, and, you know, I'm our reverse engineer, uh, Patrick Hines, who's another one of our co-hosts is, uh, ex, you know, West Point, um, West Point graduate, military, was in the Gulf War, um, so very physical security, security oriented. And then Carl Franklin, who's one of our, is a developer and been doing the .NET Rocks podcast for 20 years. Um, and we were talking about IoT, uh, you know, in your house. And I said, listen, if you have IoT in your house, you really should have a guest network or a data network um, for wireless that just has the IoT devices. That's it. Um, and and doesn't have access to any of your internal you know, devices doesn't have access to your internal workstations, that sort of stuff. So it's all your IoT devices can connect. And uh, Carl says, "Oh well, thank God I don't have any IoT in my house." And I was like, hmm. "Yes, again, <laughs> you don't have <laughs> right." I was like, "You don't have a TV?" He's like, "Oh no, I have a TV." I said, "Do you stream things to it?" He's like, "Oh yeah, of course. I use Netflix and blah whatever." I was like, "Okay, that's IoT. It's running Android, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah but I shut it off." And I was like, "You shut it off? How do you shut it off?" And he's like, "Why well, hit the power button?" And I was like, you know, that doesn't shut it off, right? <laughs> when you hit the power button, it just shuts the screen off. It's still running in the background. You can still connect to it. You can still ask it questions, that sort of stuff, unless you hold that power button down. And then it says, do you want to power off this device? Um, so I think there's a lot of risk there. Where a lot of people don't know, there, there's just these devices just sitting around. Um, whether it's a thermostat, it's a camera system, it's, uh, you know, we all love putting like the the Arlo's and the rings and the, you know, uh, heck, my refrigerator uh, can connect to Wi-Fi for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why, but it can. It's, um, uh, so all of these devices are super risky. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, now, I was going to say all these devices, are, it's it. there's a lot of interesting things 
things in your environment that communicate with Wi-Fi that you may not know. Um, you know, somebody can just drive by and breach in some way and then get access to your internal network. I mean, um, you've got you've got garage door openers that uh, that, that have been hacked, yes. uh, you know, and your 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 co-host who is into physical security, he probably has a camera, security oh, yeah. camera on premise. And yeah. Um, yeah, those are like leading <laughs> vectors for, and, and I mean, there's some crazy stories online. Um, was one lady, her, it was, her ex-husband was spying on her um, mm. through IoT devices. I mean, it was, you know, it was really freaking her out because he, he knew everything that she was doing inside her house, right? I mean, it's a, it's a reality. So aside oh, from, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's crazy. No, I agree, hundred percent. Right. Yeah. So aside from, and I don't know what the technical term is. Is is it segmenting your net, network, or is it um, what's you see? You mentioned having a, a separate network for all your IoT devices, right? Yeah, and that's that's a good point. So as far as like um, most of the IoT devices aren't hardwired anymore, right? Nobody's running, mm-hmm. you know, Cat five networking cable around their house to plug a, a camera system in. But <clears throat> most of it's going to be wireless. So it's either going to be two point four gigahertz or five gigahertz um, wireless communications. So depending on what you're running for wireless in your house, whether it's like a Google Mesh or, you know, something along those lines, um, all those devices support multiple wireless networks. So you can have your everyday, you know, um, all of the devices in my house connect to this wireless network and it's my private wireless network and it has a really long password. But then you also have the ability to do a guest network. And a lot of people don't set it up. They just don't check the box to say allow a guest network uh, at the house. Um, but I do. So what I'll do is I'll check it off and say, yes, let's allow a guest network. And I'll put a reasonable password on that guest network. And that guest network is only for the IoT devices. Um, so it's only for the cameras and the refrigerators and the TVs and the whatever. Right. Um, and that's that's yeah, it's network segmentation. It allows. So it's really hard for somebody to try and breach through an IoT device and then make it onto the main network. Um because we, you know, and we've we've seen some crazy things on some of our red team engagements. There was one, there's one engagement we were um, we were attacking a facility that was about 500 meters away. Um, now, for those of you, 500 meters is a good distance, especially for Wi-Fi. Imagine trying to be multiple football fields away from your home internet and still connect to wireless. So we're mm-hmm. talking, you know, custom antennas, Yagi's, that sort of stuff that we could actually hit this site. Um, and what we found was um, in the evening as we're watching the wireless signatures, we would see a device show up for about 15 minutes and then it would go away. Then it would show up about an hour later and then it would be there for about 15 minutes and it would go away. We're like, gosh, we have no idea what this thing is. We'd love to know if it's exploitable. Um, ultimately, we found out it was a robot vacuum. Oh my God, <laughs> <that's funny. laughs> it would get close enough to the wall. So that we could see it show up and I don't know, however dirty that corner was, it would take about 15 minutes for it to clean up that particular area and then it would take off. Um, So we, you know, we ended up attempting to breach the entire network through that, that robot camera or that robot vacuum. So, so there's all sorts of IoT devices you need to be careful of um, in, in the environment. I'm just thinking it's so cool that you guys get paid to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> reverse cr- engineer you know, stuff tear it apart you know uh, break into it that's awesome man hey um I, go ahead no i was gonna say and there's there's so many interesting things once you start doing that like um everybody believes you turn on an alarm system at your house and you're you're safe because you have motion sensors but 
you know, all those motion sensors communicate on 900 megahertz. So if you saturate that 900 megahertz space, uh, they don't communicate with the base station anymore. So you just walk through the building. So there's all sorts of like even physical security things that are really cool when you start tearing them down to the base level and understanding how they work. Can you give an example on the physical side? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so as far as like um, even things like, you know, the, you know, those doorbell cams that we all love, um, yeah. you know, those types of things are operating on the 2.4 gigahertz range. So you can actually D off those devices so you can kick them off the wireless without mm -hmm. any authentication whatsoever. You can just kick them off the wireless and then walk around those devices. And most of them will not record while they're not connected, especially if you keep it kicked off long enough. Um, so you could walk up to a building, do whatever you want, and then leave, and then stop de-authing it, and it looks like nobody was ever there. Um, so yeah, there's there's uh, those are some interesting ways we've seen of approaching facilities where, you know, we were we were paid to break in. That's awesome. Um, well, I guess it's not awesome, but it's uh, it's 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 a good fun <laughs> fact. Hey, um, t t tell me a little bit about uh, Pulsar Security. Uh, yeah, so Pulsar Security is, um, so we are an offensive cybersecurity company. We're, we're solely focused on um, this stuff, breaking into organizations. We get paid to attack just like um, some of the top level attackers in the world would try and breach a, an organization or a site. Um, and so what we do is we're constantly looking for what are the latest and greatest attacks. I, you know, I know I'm, I'm a lot twisted. My wife's always like, what's wrong with you? Like when the internet's <laughs> on fire and there's like the worst sort of exploits we've ever seen, like I'm giddy, like skipping around the house, like, oh my God, look at this thing. This is so cool. And she's like, you're a horrible person. There's really wrong things with you. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's that type of stuff where we're constantly keeping on that edge and then customers hire us to, to test their security. Um, mm -hmm. and, and not only that, but, but also sort of educate them on what are the things we see, how did we breach it, and what are attackers doing nowadays? And then from there, making them more secure by um, giving them that report and, and explaining to them how they can be more secure. Um, so that's really kind of our focus. And when you do that, do they ever say, okay, you know, we'd like you to test up to this point, but don't go beyond this? Um, yeah, we do actually, um, that, that happens. It depends on the industry. Um, I can tell you one of the, um, companies, so you probably have heard of, I think it was probably two years ago, there was a food processing company of beef mm -hmm. and they got ransomware and it was a big issue and that sort of stuff. Um, so we saw a pretty large influx of food processing companies, um, interested in, in having us do tests. And, and a lot of them would say things like, listen, don't touch our production line. Like, you can test everything else, make sure that, you know, nobody can break in. And, and if somebody were to break in from the outside, but if you get in and you get all the keys to the kingdom, don't, you know, don't try and shut down the production line. Cause you know, that's kind of our, our bread and butter. We really need that to, to keep moving. Um, so we do get that a fair bit, what we call out of scope. Um, and sometimes it's because it's an older system, mm -hmm. um, especially in medical, which is probably the worst, um, is like you get that MRI. Um, right. system that's running on like Windows XP. And they're like, well, that was the last system that was certified to be able to run this. And you're like, oh, dear God, there's so many ways I could shut that down. And they're like, please don't touch that. Leave it alone. Um, so yeah, right. we, we, we definitely get that. So that uh, sounds very, very interesting and much needed. Um, and I, I'm wondering, is this all part of the, the original playbook where you should have somebody come in on a regular basis and um, do this kind of offensive testing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's one of the things it's, it's hard to, it's like proofreading your own, your own, uh, essays, right. When you were mm -hmm. in back in college or whatnot, you write this essay and you're like, oh my God, it's gold. And then somebody reads it and is like, doesn't even read like English. 
Um, same type of thing. You you put this defense together and these plans together, and unless you have somebody outside actually take a look at it and and really put it through its paces, you really don't know how good it is. And a lot of people, what's funny is I see organizations fall back on, well, we haven't been breached yet, right? Mm-hmm. So we're probably okay. Um, and and I've definitely seen sites. We had one customer we were working with um, that thought they they had gotten breached uh, in a you know they thought they were they had been hacked. Turns out they weren't. Um, they there was an issue with social engineering, entirely different um, sort of attack. Um, but they said, you know what, not for nothing. Why don't you take a look at our physical side? Let's 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 have you just take a look at the firewalls and websites and and see if there was any way in. And and it took us probably about an hour to gain access to the entire site, everything, all, all employees, all passwords, everything. Wow. Um, and they were yeah, and it's and it's, it's classically it's one of those things where they were like wow, we thought we were secure because we had never been hit, but really just hadn't been a target yet. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody scrolling through would have would have been able to breach them. So that's an, that's one thing. You absolutely have somebody outside do it. Um, and what we recommend to our customers is, listen, if we've worked with you for a couple of years, go find somebody else. Because right. we, we even we get into that sort of tunnel focus of, okay, well, this is how we attack this particular customer and we're going to keep going down that path. And, and you want new eyes on it all the time just to make sure you're as, as good as possible. Let me ask you, um, are your testers, do they all work like on-prem with you? Do they work remote? Do you have, are they all, you know, domestic or do you, do you outsource to people overseas? I mean, how does that work? Uh, yeah, that is a, that is a burning topic because, um, so all of ours are domestic, all of ours are actual employees. Um, and, and here's why. Um, when dealing with military, um, having a, an outsourced outside uh, right. attacker is is a tough thing to do. Um, and and also the data we get access to is so sensitive um, with the ability to shut down. Uh, actually, one of the um, one of the companies we just tested, we found a flaw in a supply chain piece of software that would give us access to two and a half thousand other companies. So. You know, if if I if I can't trust the people I'm with to be like, okay, cool, we're going to take this flaw and we're going to report it to the software company who puts out this supply chain software and they're going to fix it. Um, if I'm just to have a contractor who randomly works with us, you know, that's that's a pretty powerful thing. Selling that on the dark web be worth quite a bit of money, um, or just using it for nefarious deeds and and ransomwareing, you know, two and a half thousand companies could bring in a fair bit of money. So you really have to be careful who you deal with. Yeah, I, I've worked with um, managed security firms before, and the I have seen where certain certain parts of the services were outsourced to yeah. you know freelancers all around the world, and I, I was just like, but but you know <laughs> how do we know <laughs> what they're you know I mean, and and if you look at the cost of you know, the, the average monthly wage in some of these countries yes. and what they could do with this information, you know, compared to what we're paying them. I'm like, I I don't know if this is the best place for us to like improve our margins. You know what I mean? It's right, like, uh, right. Or, yeah, yeah. or even like, what are the cyber laws in the place that they live? Right. right. Like there, there are a lot of places that have much more lax cyber laws than say, you know, in Europe with GDPR and that sort of stuff. So I could see, you know, you outsource to the wrong, you know, location. And now they're like, yeah, we got all this data and it's, you know, perfectly legal for us to use this to breach you. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's not cool. <laughs> so yeah, so, hey, you gotta, you gotta watch out for that. One, one, uh, one last question. Um, what are your thoughts on TikTok? Oh my gosh. Uh, that's, that's tough. I can tell you, my kids do not have TikTok. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've blocked it at the firewall level and the DNS level at the house. Um, but uh, so I'm always cautious of applications that are either funded or managed outside of uh, a cyber friendly, uh, you know, country. So, you know, UK, fine, um, US, fine, um, you know, most of those, Australia, Canada, you know, most of those, I'm okay if those applications are, are managed from there or if those applications are made from there. But when you start dealing with uh, countries who don't necessarily abide by the same uh, rules of engagement, um, when mm-hmm. you start talking about like the top four, like Iran, uh, China, Russia, North Korea, right? Um, especially like North Korea, for example, like they're the only, they're non-massive country. The only way they can flex in the world is really through cyber. Um, so they have a, a very impressive cyber army. Um, so it's it's those where I'm like, okay, well, if they're managed in those places and we start seeing small little leaks, um, like it, especially, I believe specifically with TikTok where they were saying things like, oh, it does have the ability to grab keystrokes and it does have the ability. And they, they claim it away as, oh, no, 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 that's so we can improve our app. Right. Um, you know, and then you're like, it's all for, it's all for your benefit. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I always err on the side of, uh, caution, like, you know what, I'd rather not have those types of apps. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I've never actually read through the whole, um, you know, license agreement. Uh, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you listen to different podcasters, I think Joe Rogan's gone on a couple of rants about it, how apparently, you know, they can, access basically all the other apps on your device oh, yeah. um, and track your activity. And that's, that's pretty scary. I mean, have you dug any into that at all? Um, so yeah, tearing the app apart, we haven't. Um, so, cause what we'll typically do is, uh, if a customer comes to us and really needs to use it for a business application, yeah, we'd tear it down to its studs and figure out what it does. Um, so it's more like, uh, let's say banking applications and that sort of stuff we've ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Um, that are on mobile phones. Um, but our concern, you know, our concern would be that, you know, let's say they find a way to circumvent the isolation, app isolation on a particular device, which isn't that hard in some cases. Um, yeah, they could get access to anything that's on that device. Um, text messages, uh, there used to be, there was a period of time where, you know, we had uh, implants we could put on phones that would, you know, turn on microphones and cameras and there's all sorts of that stuff out there. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm always leery about what I put on the phone. Okay, last last question. What do you do to keep abreast of the latest threats? And I mean, because obviously you guys are using these offensive techniques to to test your customers' defenses. Um, what do you do to keep abreast of the latest threats, but also the attack techniques and so and so on? Yeah. Um, so from my side, what I'm typically doing is that, you know, I follow, uh, I've cultivated a good list of researchers, um, like Google's Project Zero, that sort of stuff. They're really good researchers out there who are kind of on the cusp of not only like forensically seeing what's happening in the world, but also um, research and, and discovering new tactics and techniques. So I follow a list of those people. Um, <laughs> it was in Twitter, although at some point I'm going to switch over to something that's has not as much of a dumpster fire anymore. Um, and then, <laughs> and then usually it's, it's staying abreast of news articles and, and, and listening to podcasts like this, like just getting a good understanding of what's out there and what's happening and listening to some experts. Um, I know for our podcast security this week, we, you know, we have to cultivate some of these stories because every week what we do is take the top stories and then break them down. Um, but you know, for our customers sake, um, you know, we're constantly looking at training. I mean, my engineers, for example, we carve off time where it's, you know, at least 
every uh, every week they should take a day and just go learn just go see what's out there go play with the newest tools and techniques and and bring that expertise back to the customers that's awesome man well hey, Dwayne, i really enjoyed this conversation and uh, i think it's you know an incredibly valuable service that you provide and it must be really fun to do it as well so um thank you for your time and i wish you and your, the rest of your team a great 2023 <laughs> thanks same to you mark this is uh, this has been awesome this has been a pleasure Yay.